This is DJ and Allison and welcome to Neon Nonsense. This episode is sponsored by Ventex Technologies. Hey everyone, we know we've been a little bit quiet here at Neon Nonsense for the last couple of months. We are very sad to report that it's because we made this awesome friend in the springtime. His name is Mike, and we had the honor of interviewing him. And shortly thereafter, he unfortunately died unexpectedly. So we've kind of been grieving, and what we want to do is share this shorter interview with Mike and just let his legacy live on a little bit. We're, we really loved where he was going, what he was doing, and we're really sad both for loss loss of our friend and kind of a void that he's left in the neon industry that we were really excited about. So we hope that you enjoy it. And uh, here's here's Mike. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our episode of Neon Nonsense. We are thrilled to invite and have on our episode today, Mike Poulton. DJ, yeah, woo! <laughs> we had the pleasure of meeting him in person just a couple of months ago. Oh, months? Has it been months? Plural? Two months or last month it was recent but like wow what is time <laughs> i have no idea it just passes without my consent all the time at any rate yeah. we had a lovely time mike and a few other people and dj and i hung out in my shop and we had a lovely bending day and then we hung out at the gas conference together too saw some cool stuff but we all clicked we just thought mike was terrific and I think DJ, you and Mike met each other digitally before that. You had been in contact as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I started noticing Mike posting some really interesting videos on the Neon uh, Beginners pa- Facebook page that I'm an admin on. Uh, oh, and- yeah. I remember you saying yeah. something like, he's been a member for a while and only recently has he like snuck yeah. in some posts. Yeah. So when did you, when did you uh, join? I don't actually remember, but it was a while ago. Uh, it was probably a solid year or so between when I had joined the group before I actually started posting anything because I just really hadn't been doing much. Hadn't been yeah. really doing neon at that point. We usually end with a ridiculous question that I submit. I might pose some ridiculous questions throughout the course of this. As well. we'll see. Yes, yes, well, I don't yes, yes. Be, I don't want to be tested. <laughs> <laughs> This is what separates DJ and I. We have a really different kind of ridiculousness that we live our lives by. (laughs) I like to call my versions like more surrealism. (laughs) I don't know. How's Arizona? What's the weather like? How hot is it right now? (laughs) It's it's, uh, egregious. (laughs) Intolerable. (laughs) It's summer in Arizona. Yeah. I know. Like 108 or something like that. It's disgusting. Uh, okay, yeah. Got monsoons. We get monsoons every year. The wind direction changes and we get wet weather and storms. And just started that last week, really. So my roof yeah. leak poured all over my bending table. And <gasps> oh, no. Yep. It's different every year. The roof leaks every year, but it leaks in different spots. So it's always a nice. <laughs> it doesn't rain for like. 
eight months straight and then all of a sudden it pours and you get to figure out where to put the buckets that year <laughs> i'm so sorry yeah that's rough uh, my friend just had to put a new roof on her house so that they just bought in lancaster and uh they got Amish people to do it, and I was staying there at the time, and it was like 6 a.m., and I just hear all these bearded men screaming on the roof and making the dog bark a lot. You can hear a Pennsylvania Dutch man. Like, it's yeah. a very specific the whole thing. It's a whole thing. Uh, I believe You sound that. like you're in the 1890s, like, yeah. all over again. It's very fascinating. Um, yeah, but I digress. And hanging out in my shop was like the highlight of my year. That was so fun. Yeah. Yep. The neon moon is uh, doing just fine in my lab. <laughs> Yay! I'm so glad. That's kind of been the story of my life regarding neon. I've been following it ever since I was a little kid and uh, hadn't been doing it much, just sporadically. I just was always interested in neon, mostly from a science perspective. I've always been a Guy. And when I was in elementary school and started figuring out how neon worked, because I just thought it was so cool, had to understand it. Uh, I just was so interested that I ended up hanging out at a local sign shop and seeing how the glass was bent and how the tubes were processed and got to make a, a tube or two there. Um, actually dropped my first unit that I had made the moment I brought it home. No, uh, <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Up. <laughs> After that, you know, the real obstacle to me was that everything was leaded glass in the early 90s. And so you had to have fires with supplied air. There's no way you could use a, a cheap propane torch from the hardware store uh, because it would smoke up the lead glass. And I tried, but of course it didn't work. So I pretty much gave up on bending glass and doing neon. So what was, do you remember the name of the shop that you used to go visit when you were a kid and where, 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 where it was? Oh, the Neon Place in Topeka, Kansas. Um, I Topeka? Do, yeah, Topeka. Um, I do not remember the name, and I actually went back and tried to, to look online earlier this year to see if I could deduce what that place was, and I just couldn't find anything. Yeah. So unfortunately, that's lost to history. Um, both the name of the shop and the gentleman who was a real old timer uh, who showed me the ropes, really. He actually let me get into his fires a couple of times and uh, told me all about it. And it was, it was really cool. He really went out of his way to show a little kid how it worked. That's one of the reasons I collect <laughs> matchbooks of neon sign shops on eBay, because it's sometimes the only proof that that place existed. Yeah. Uh, or... I, I have a couple rulers of sign shops too that have the marketing of the sign shop on the That's rulers. cute. I have a few eBay alerts, a few hundred eBay alerts going on. <laughs> a few hundred to clarify. <laughs> well, that's that's so cool that you had such an early um, positive mm -hmm. uh, experience. I think often about how much student loan money I would have saved if I had found neon sooner seriously <laughs> same path. this stupid grad degree don't even use it why <laughs> and also coming at it from like a purely scientific standpoint where where i feel like you you come from is so like the part that i have to really try to and to focus on the science part like i i i feel like the craft and the technical part of the bending is what I like to do more 
So I yeah. kind of neglect the bombarding stuff. I do as do as best I can with what I have and make the best tubes I can. Um, but I, I'm su- super interested to talk to people like yourself. Yeah, I, it's interesting how neon brings together so many different so many different uh, sets of knowledge, fields of knowledge into one product. Everyone ends up coming at it from a slightly different angle. And it's interesting to hear you talking about how the science aspect is the harder one and the craft comes more naturally. Because for me, I mean, you saw how I'm doing with my bending. Um. You did great. Yeah, you did great. You made a whole moon. There are two really big soft curves on that thing. I appreciate you. Both excellent instructors. Uh, But (laughs) got a long ways to go on uh, just being able to handle the glass and make it do what I want. And for me, that's the hard part. I enjoy it a lot, but Mm -hmm. it's um, it's one of those things, it's just uh, a matter of spending the time and going through all the glass and watching as many people as you can to learn the different techniques. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. But it's only been in the last six months, really, um, maybe, yeah, six months or so that I've been able to get into that because I didn't have a shop set up with proper fires uh, prior to that. I've had a vacuum manifold system for several years now because I was working on tube processing methods, but Mm. the tubes I was using for that are just straight sections of clear glass with electrodes on the ends. So all I needed was a hand torch. Um, I mean, I've probably processed two or 300 units like that, which for a high volume shop isn't much, but for just straight up experimentation, that was quite a bit, but yeah. uh, then I've got to get into uh, really figuring out how to make the glass do what I want. Yeah. I mean, you speak the truth on the whole, got to go through the glass front. Like it just, it's kind of a hard thing to stomach, but if you can push yourself to just blow through that glass and practice, that's how you improve. Yes. And it's really stressful. It's really hard. You have to really like muster the gumption to push through it so we totally get that place that you're in right now of just try not to yell at it and ask it to be in the place that you want it to be when you bend it and at the same time i'm moreover which ends mm. up feeling very different i don't know to me borosilicate feels a lot like welding it, it's very similar to tig welding i think in terms of just the overall feel and approach Whereas the soft glass with traditional neon fires, dealing with the cracking, dealing with planning reheats, getting close to your prior bend, all that mm-hmm. stuff, it's just a whole lot more to keep in mind. It's more mm-hmm. material because it's more complicated to deal with, I think. I'm going to say the most hipster sentence that I may ever have said ever in my life, <laughs> but I was once a clown. And I, I, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I often think in my head, this is so much like balloon animals. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. The the units of like the measuring how long to, to, to do a certain knot at, I don't know. It's just like, I always think of like that and baton twirling when I'm doing (laughs) work. See, I don't know if that's a hipster statement or if it's just like our weird weird life. statement like Weird that is a circus person yeah. <laughs> is that hipster now like what i don't know 
know. But I, yeah, I think that there's like you bring what you can to what you what you're doing, and totally. Uh, those are like it's like it's, and I think both those things just have physical like b- brain to hand muscle memory that mean very specific stuff. You know, that's what neon. You know, that's what you have to just train your brain to not even like need to think about it. Yeah. I like that Boro comparison though. Like I, it's interesting because so uh, Morgan's going to kill us for saying this, but on his episode, he joked about how anyone can use a lathe. (laughs) 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 And like, and I, at the the time I was like, yeah, I get that. And also it's like credit to Morgan. Like he's allowed to say that because, you know, but at the same time, yeah. Sorry, all of you scientific glass blowers, we love you, we swear. But it's interesting because yeah, I feel like the boro really it's just more resilient. It's tougher, it's harder, it's it can be heated nearby. And I I actually feel very affirmed by your comparison of like, yeah, soft glass is a little turd and you have to constantly be thinking about (laughs) everything at all times. And yeah, like it just is this weird. We we all have this very strange niche knowledge of how to interact with heating and cooling glass over and over again. yes indeed yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and just like how fireworks and where the hottest part of it is and right how certain things absorb heat in different ways and like making sure that your bend that you just made is like sitting off your table not like directly on your table after you did it so you don't just have to pay attention while you're bending the glass or while you're measuring it before you bend the glass after you bend the glass where do you put it on your table matters as well every aspect there's not one full part that doesn't influence the outcome interesting i like I'm a little frustrated from bending today i don't yeah, know yeah i know really sam i'm tell. like mm, I was <laughs> emerald classic emerald today stupid stupid choices. mine is i don't even have that excuse it was stu- it was like regular warm white new warm glass. white's the worst dude okay that batch this is a bad batch Thank you for justifying my life. You're welcome. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we might have interrupted you, Mike. What were you Sorry, Mike. Sorry. I don't know where I was at. Jeez, I was just going through my whole history with Neon. 2015. That's when I yes. started re examining Neon. And that I think I mentioned earlier, that's when I started to notice that it uh, become part of the glass art community rather than its own separate part of the sign trade the way it really had been for a a big portion of the 20th century at least and what stuck out to me when i was looking at at neon and having taken about a decade and a half break from it was that the techniques were identical to what had been used in the early 90s which was identical to what was in miller's book from the 1930s that's what prompted me to to think all right what does a fresh approach to making neon look like using 21st century technology. You had the opportunity to start fresh today in 2015 with equipment methods to manufacture neon. Would you do it the same way or would you use something else? And there were at least a few aspects where it seemed obvious to me that if you were starting from scratch now, you would not be doing it the way it was being done. I thought, well, maybe with this becoming part of the glass art community and uh, with people doing more DIY arts and crafts type activities, maybe there's an opportunity to open this up to 
a larger group of participants by making it safer, cheaper, easier, just more accessible overall. So artists who maybe are uh, just getting into glass or even don't have any glass experience, but are intrigued by adding neon to their studio might be able to do that more feasibly. So that was, uh, well, geez, seven years ago, and I still don't have a market. So I think the answer is that it's harder than it seemed initially, harder to, to make that work. So that's tough. The, the business side of Neon, I think, has always been difficult. Um, Agreed. Manufacturers, even dating back to the early days, have lasted only a short time and gone out of business. So I'm wary of that. I'm aware of the history and I'm, I'm wary of the difficulties. I still think that this has viability. But yeah, yeah and that's just one aspect of the new, new technology that I've been working on, though. Um, the bombarder. Yeah, because I saw you. I saw you on Facebook walking around your shop with a, with a, for lack of a better word, a wireless hand torch. <laughs> Wait, what? It's great. So uh, that's that is my hand torch set up now. I just carry it around. It's a little tool bag, just a very small one that has a one-pound propane cylinder and a Makita drill battery that operates uh, one of my little high pressure blowers to supply air to the torch. And it's got the mixer and about a six foot hose. And that's all you need. Um, it's, it's great. These little fans are fantastic. It was just- and The fan runs on batteries? Yeah. It was an extensive hunting process to find these suckers. They, they had to be specially manufactured. I had to buy 500 of them direct from the manufacturer in China, but they're intended for use in CPAP machines and supplied air ventilators. So mm -hmm. they're high pressure, they're super quiet. They're intended to run continuously for years at a time and they run on 12 volts and have a built-in speed control. So I'm using these on all of my fires. You just have one fan per fire and the air control is just the speed knob for the fan. So you turn it up and down and it varies the air and you don't need a big blower, you don't need any air plumbing, and you can run one of these on a cordless grill battery all day. <laughs> Seriously, That's you're just amazing. like blowing our minds. But this yeah. is, yeah, yeah. Shut up and you're take just... my money, Mike. Yeah, seriously, can we have those? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been involved. I've got a bunch of people online on the Facebook group who've been requesting these fans and I need to get them out, but I just haven't gotten the website set up. Um, and I just today received 300 of those Hongba power supplies, the good five kilovolts adjustable. So I've got 300 of those because I, I really like those. They seem like by far the cheapest and best option for small units. So I'm going to get those up for sale too, because Amazon doesn't have them reliably. It looks like if you want to get this particular model, the five kilovolt with the adjustable brightness that you sometimes have to order it from China uh, directly. So I figured I'd just be a U.S. source for those. Um, it's got a built-in dimmer. Yeah, it's got a little dimmer knob on it. And shut up and take our money for take Pete's my money. sake. My God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I feel like that's the other question that we want to ask you about is like, what's been your experience sourcing large quantities of things. Cause I feel like I, at least for myself, I've been really curious about, like I was talking to DJ about just like buying a pallet of transformers from this like website in China and that'd be great. But 
how do I do that reliably? Uh, the bottom line is it isn't reliable. Um, it's just the wild west and you never really know how it's going to turn out. I've had pretty good luck, but not universally perfect luck with these Alibaba suppliers. Um, tip number one, I would say is uh, become nocturnal because they're working nighttime. And if you want to get anything done, you're going to have to go back and forth with them on chat quite a bit. So I ended up when I was trying to source these fans, uh, I ordered samples from like a dozen different companies and narrowed it down to two or three that were worth investigating more. And then uh, the one company that could produce what I actually wanted in, in a reasonable quantity uh, wouldn't make me buy 10,000 of them, just 500. And uh, <laughs> holy smokes. I was going back and forth with these people every night for a few weeks dealing with that. And then a few other things I was trying to get. Yeah. It's the other thing that's kind of interesting is I, the person that I bought my first bombarder from, he was telling me that his business, he had switched into LEDs quite a bit, but he was saying like, especially in the U S China often gets a bad reputation for having like low quality products that are sold here and he framed it for me in a really good way about like it's not that it's all shoddy work it's that they have many more tiers of quality that we could invest in or not that we likely don't always have or are realizing that we're accessing here in the states and so it was just like yeah find the distributor that has the level of quality for the price you want to pay and then you could figure out what you want to do with it and I feel like that's what you're doing is testing out those quality, that quality, figuring out which price point matches the quality you're looking for. And I hope that that keeps improving and we get some cool stuff out of it. Sounds awesome. That is exactly the deal. Yeah. And I, th I think a lot of people, when they're disappointed with the quality of something that they get, especially if you're ordering something wholesale on Alibaba, I mean, I think it's different if you're buying something on Amazon or even AliExpress where it's a consumer transaction. And they don't, you don't really see that it's a poorer quality item than what you're expecting. Yeah, that's disappointing. But on the wholesale side, no, they're not trying to hide anything. It's yeah. just very cheap products have a purpose. And right. I'm a big fan of really cheap products. Um, I mean, I, I just bought a piece of equipment the other day that's a 20th of the price of its competitor. Um, I mean, it's still not cheap. But the competing product is like eight grand and this thing was 500 bucks and it's Chinese, but it's, it's 500 bucks instead of eight grand. Like, why would I pay that much more? I, usually it's just not necessary. Um, and especially for people who are hobbyists or small time in anything, you got to look for the deals. You got to look for the alternatives to the so-called top of the line so-called professional grade item um, because there's usually an alternative and it's usually good enough. <laughs> this is going to open up a can of worms because I already asked this question on the Facebook. You're like, you're kind of making my brain like explode because it's like, well, what else can we do with, yeah, like if we take all this knowledge we have from, you know, 1901 or whenever noble gases were, were discovered, basically, officially, and combine that information with today's technology. And my question is, like, kind of having to do with what's been happening recently with 
the war in Ukraine and the gas yeah. quote unquote crisis of noble gases that's uh, that's mined over there and bottled mm-hmm. over there. What is stopping us from just doing? It's in the air. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm doing I, it in a thing that looked like a gin still yeah. in 1901. <laughs> got a copper and a bunch of rubber tubes. Why can't I just have a a gas noble gas situation in my studio? That's why <laughs> it I just like joke. sucks the air up. About like my old neighbor used to be a welder. I'm like, how do we just like put a vacuum next to your fan and like suck out and process the argon from this whole room? Because he's just like blowing through huge canisters of argon. So yeah, it is in the air, but the only way to get it out is to liquefy the air and distill out all of its separate components. And that's where we get all all of the industrial gases that are made separate. The nitrogen, argon, and oxygen separation process is much easier than separating the other noble gases. Of course, the nitrogen and oxygen you got tons of, and the argon you've got enough of that if you've got a an air separation plant, you're going to get quite a bit of argon out of neon, and then especially all the heavier ones. Um, geez, krypton and xenon just hardly exist. They're around, obviously, but they just hardly exist. There's so little in the atmosphere that the only way to get it out is to distill swimming pools full of liquid air. It's actually, swimming pools understates it. You've got to be dealing with pipeline quantity liquid air 24-7 to separate enough neon, krypton, and xenon to make it commercially feasible. Well, the only way is if you have a need for that volume of liquid air already, and the only industry that consumes it in that quantity is steel production, because they use massive, massive quantities of liquid oxygen. um, And so they need to have huge liquid air plants attached to their facilities. So the biggest liquid air plants in the world are attached to the biggest steel plants in the world. And one of those was Azovstal, which the Russians completely annihilated in the last couple months, just bombed it flat. And it was one of the only facilities in the world that produced and separated noble gases in those kinds of quantities. So we really are all screwed for years to come because Azovstal cannot be replaced in a timely fashion. It was a an industrial resource that the world needed and relied on and that took a century of construction and development built into what it was, and the Russians just completely destroyed it. That's really shitty. Yes. For everyone. Literally everyone. It is. So, yeah. What's the, what's the, like, second, like, obviously that's the largest, that was the largest producer. What country is the second largest producer? Russia. (laughs) God damn it. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, all these noble gases are um, the results of radioactive decay of heavy elements deep inside the earth, which is why they typically come out with natural gas. Uh, And that's the other way to get it is to distill natural gas and separate it that way. But that doesn't get done much. We usually just burn the natural gas, which then puts the noble gases into our atmosphere. And then we have to distill huge quantities of air to get it back out. (laughs) So I really opinion and and the other people I've talked to who've been following that situation are of the opinion that the noble gas prices are not going to improve for years. Um, It's going to be a while and we may not even have hit peak prices yet. So 
I don't know how that's going to work out. I, I know that, um, well, you, Allison, at least, I, I think you had some xenon tubes on the wall in your shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just lucked out when I first started. Uh, Steve at West Coast had all all four. I had everything but helium. And at the time, I was like, doop, 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 I'll give this a try. And I just happened to be able to put it on my pump at the time. And so I have some really cool xenon pieces as a result. And now it's nearly prohibitively expensive to mess with. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> quite yeah. yeah, we were talking in our uh, one of our po- previous podcasts with Shauna Peterson, and she was talking about how in, the, in her early days of her career, she... Um, she would often use helium to flush out her her tubes, and now it's just too expensive. We kind of just want to know what what do you see in the future for neon? Like we feel like you're doing this amazing experimenting and tinkering with the like improving things, and like if you could just cast a vision for what you want to see in neon and and your contribution to it, like what what comes to mind? And I've thought about this a lot, um, really a lot, because. The first is I want to be able to offer uh, a neon system that is user-friendly and affordable so that anyone can do it. And I want to have uh, soccer moms and handy, uh, handy dads and everybody else making some neon in their garages, even if they're not good at it, even if it doesn't turn out that well, you know, plenty of people have hobbies like that. And I want this to be a viable hobby. The other side. I want every glass artist to be familiar with neon and plasma and have it as part of their practice if they want. I don't want it to be relegated to a corner of the glass art world. I want it to be central to glass art because Mm. it's one of the things you can do with glass. And people like Harriet Schwartzrock and the others who have traditional furnace blowing practices um, and have added neon and plasma to that show how beautiful of a combination it is to take a really, really well done studio glass and turn it into something that's self-illuminated and has the beauty of light and movement that you get with plasma and neon. And by making the process more accessible and perhaps slightly less technically intensive for the user, I think it'll open that up to more glass artists. And I want to help catalyze that process as well. Give them goosebumps. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's a vision we can get on board with for sure yeah absolutely i do i do hear the people the grumbles in the background and yeah the the people saying well how are you going to keep the standard of a tube uh right. lifetime of a tube with that kind of mentality and that kind of marketing etc it's not like we have a system that does that now honestly it's not like it's someone true. actually has made that standard so neon police yeah oh. there, there are going to be naysayers with anything but especially that I'm, I'm willing to just step right out and say it's purely hypocritical lots of professional neon shops have been doing a bad job with their technology we oh, can't damn. oh mike's on down yeah i mean we so really good. Oh, we got to keep the standards up. It's critical that we have perfect tube life when you've got a bunch of people who've been making tubes for a hundred years, no vacuum gauges. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. That's what I tell myself every time my vacuum gauge starts acting like an asshole. I'm like, they didn't use this. They didn't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. (laughs) Just kidding. I love you. Did you get gate back? Don't. Did you gate? Well, shall we end on some nonsense? Yeah. Give me the nonsense.
I like to put the non in nonsense in this podcast. This question is for everyone. And the question is, if you could summon any animal at any time with your own secret call, which animal would arrive from your call? It's tricky. Mine, mine is like either a river otter or all the dogs. So like <laughs> dog-esque. Like they're all kind of like water dogs and dogs. I was going to ask if it has to be only a single individual of that animal or if you can summon a crowd of them. You, That's what you, I asked too. <laughs> I think that it depends on where you're located geographically. Like are you in a city with a lot of dogs or like are you in the desert where there's no crows at all? Oh, geez. So I have to work with the actual population of this. They don't. No. Just you you get to nonsense it up and you get to decide. You get to oh, pick. Then it's Darn a whole. World. It's a whole crowd of axolotls. A waddles? Axolotls? Axolotls. Is that a, is that a lizard? Sort of. They're like salamanders <laughs> with silly things that come off of their heads and gills. I love how specific that is. That was great. Good answer. They look totally nonsensical. They look like they're not real. Also look like they're smiling at you all of the time. Like to have a whole crowd of appear at my Oh, yeah, they are cute. They're like a little, like, Krusty the Clown tadpole. Aww. Wait, what are they called again? Uh, Axolotls. A-X-O-L-O-T-L. Like, you ask a lot of questions. (laughs) Damn straight I do. (laughs) <laughs> oh they're so cute they're uh, so cute okay so good cute. job good job mike good job yeah. yeah dj what animal would you summon with your secret call so uh i would like to um i'll uh, disclose that allison asked me i got spoiled to the question before she forced me to everyone for the record so i have been thinking about it for a second but i've decided it's bees Ooh. <laughs> You want a gathering of bees? I want to be able to control them. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say control. I said summon. Well, (laughs) okay. Well, maybe it's still bees because then I can pollinate my garden and get vegetables. Yeah, there's a double, there's an evil and a positive side (laughs) to my answer. (laughs) I have evil and positive bees. Well, thank you so much, Mike, to, for sharing your amazing, the impressive, like, you just knowledge drops so Everything. much on us. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your cool. time and for hanging out with us. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah.